Welcome, 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 welcome to another Bible study live. Amen. We thank you for tuning in. Thank you for those who have already commented or planning on liking, sharing, and subscribing. So we appreciate you for that. Appreciate you for all that you do to make Deliver Simple what it is. This time we're going to bow our heads and we're going to go uh, before the Lord in prayer and then we will start. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, praise you, love you, appreciate you, honor you. Thank you for all that you are and all that you mean. Uh, thank you for your greatness, your kindness, and your mercy toward us. And so we ask that you would just benefit us, bless us as we study, illuminate uh, myself as I teach, illuminate the listeners, the hearers, the learners, the disciples, uh, help us to grow in the things of God. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, good to see you, Brother Kevin. God bless you. And thank God for uh, the prayer request that you sent that God has answered and honored. So we're going to uh, once again go over Sunday's sermon, which was this, what you want, what you want. And this was purposely done in a way that um, was what I would say is um, I said it was grammatically incorrect and it was kind of done on purpose because uh, I didn't put a question mark behind it. So it wasn't what do you want? It could be taken several ways. It could be taken as what do you want or it could be taken as what you want, like what you want is good or what you want is bad. So I left it open ended for a reason because we were going to play on both of those ideas. And so we started off by defining want in two ways. One was to have a desire to possess or do something wish for. That is the most common definition of want. And then we had the second definition that we were going to focus on later in the teaching, and that is a lack or deficiency of something. So for now, the focus will be that first one, the the most common that I want, I wish for, I desire to have or do something, obtain something, see something. That is the most common definition of want. And so we wanted to also look at some synonyms for that, words that are very similar that help us define want even better, make it more clear, desire, wish for, hope for, have an inclination for, set one's heart on, long for, yearn for, hunger for, thirst for, lust after, cry out for, be desperate for, itch for, covet. I want to take a moment and look at the one that says lust for. Normally when we think of lust, we only think of it in the negative term. But really lust, all it is in its basic definition is a strong desire and an urge, a crave. So your lusting for can be positive, but it can be negative. And most times we've seen it in the negative light. We usually connect lust to sexual desire, but it, it covers and encompasses a lot of things. But all of those things were synonyms of actually wanting. Um, I like being desperate for, itch for, covet. A lot of these things that we see in want can have negative connotations. Uh, desperate, when you're desperate for something, sometimes you do things in desperation that you normally wouldn't do. Covet, the Bible tells us not to covet. 
So it shows us at the outset that this want can have both pop, both positive and negative. And so that's why the question or the statement, what you want is very important because what you want or what do you want, it gets at the core of who you are. And a lot of times it shapes your decisions because your decisions often end up becoming based on those cravings, those itchings, those covetings, those desires, those wishes, and that can be both positive and negative. And so in order to give us more context, I decided to tell us a story. And I started off by having this picture of fried chicken that shows four different pieces of chicken. And I called it Andre's chicken story. And I made light of the fact that, uh, I like fried chicken and I should have known I was going to be a preacher as much fried chicken that I, I like is it was a uh, stereotype that number one, black people like chicken, fried chicken, and also preachers uh, like fried chicken. So I decided to tell my own story. And so my own fried chicken story, it starts with uh, these pieces of chicken. It starts with the fact that growing up being young, the, man of the house always got the largest piece of chicken. That's just the way things went. You were not to desire the biggest pieces. It wasn't going to go to you. It was always going to go to the man of the house. Whoever uh, paid the bills, brought the money home, that's who the largest piece of chicken was going to automatically go to. And so I grew up desiring to have the largest piece of chicken, not ha- not to have to wait till my father ate And there are times that he would come home and he wouldn't want it. And then we would get the chance to eat it. But we were always secondary. And so I grew up with the desire, hey, I can't wait till I can get the biggest piece of chicken. That I don't have to wait for anyone. I can just get what I want, fulfill what I want. Well, the problem came in when the situation came when I realized that after having the biggest piece of chicken for a while, I realized that that's not really what I wanted. That's not really what I liked. And then for several years, I started gravitating to the smaller pieces, which was the wings. And uh, I kind of forced myself to eat the biggest piece, the breast, for a while. And then I remember having a friend saying that, you know, sometimes that breast piece is dry. And I noticed that, you know, sometimes it is dry. It's not really what I want. I'd rather have several small wings than one big uh, breast. And so it just brought me to this idea and this thought that that happens to us a lot in life. It's a lighthearted, uh, story, but it has a sobering, uh, connotation to it, a sobering moral. And so that moral was this. It's that it's a sobering thing in life to find out what you wanted is not really what you wanted. So what you thought you wanted or what you in your life said, this is what I just have to have, you find out that it's not often what it's cracked up to be. The American dream is not what it's cracked up to be. Adulting is not what it's cracked up to be. Marriage, relationships, the new car, the house, all these things that sometimes that we just crave, we itch, and that sometimes we're tempted to do the wrong things in order to possess it. But once we actually have what we want, we have the objects of our desire, we find out that life has a way of letting us down and it's just not what we thought it was. And we find out what I wanted 
It's not what I really wanted. I can't wait to be able to juggle two, three women at a time because I grew up around uncles who talked about how many girls they had. And then once I tried it, it, uh, it was more headache than what I thought or what, whatever it is. I'm, you know, throwing out many, many things. Or, oh, I can't wait to go to this restaurant. Oh, I can't wait to go to Vegas. Everybody talks about Vegas. I get there and I have a, uh, a oh, well time. Or I can't wait to take my kids to Disney World and they want to spend more time in the hotel uh, playing at the pool at the hotel than they do wanting to go to Disney World. So the point is when you get to chasing your wants and then you end up getting the wants, it's a sobering thought to find out what you want wasn't what you wanted. So as you mature, you begin to sometimes question your wants. And the whole premise of this uh, sermon was that we have to yield our wants to God. And here's the reason why I put this uh, picture up, too, because of this show. And it's also a statement. Father knows best. So in our life, our heavenly father actually knows what's best for us. And so what we often do is we tell him what we want. And we expect and we anticipate for him to jump at all of our wants and wishes and desires. And we want him to be the genie in the bottle and snap and make all of our wishes come true. But since he knows best, sometimes he does not do what we think he should do. He doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should. He shows us things, but then when they begin to play out in our life, they're not how we imagine them. They're not how we anticipate it. And it sets up a little bit of tension between us and our creator. But we have to know that father knows best. And since father knows best, he will do what is best in your life, regardless of how you feel about it. You may think it should go this way. And he may do it another way, but because he's the creator and he is the manufacturer and because you've yielded to him as your father, you have to come back to your, to your senses and realize that father knows best. And so when your will competes with his will, which it often will, because the Bible says that, that the flesh is an enmity against God is actually an enemy of God. So actually part of our makeup is opposite of what God wants for us. And so our wheels will compete with his wheel and we're going to have to just yield. When I uh, talked at the gathering on Good Friday, I spent some time talking about this whole process. The idea of the sermon was called, is there another way? Because many times when God takes us and leads us away, we, we just have to know in ourselves, it's got to be an easier way than this. It doesn't have to be like this. And many times that is true. There is an easier way. But because God knows best, he asks us to yield to his way and his will. And once we get into that struggle, we have to know that father knows best. So one of the quintessential uh, passages of scripture that talks about this, we decided to go there. It's, it's in first Samuel, actually first Samuel uh, eight. And so we start a little bit, not in the middle, but just we didn't start at the top because I didn't need that to give us what I needed to give us. So first Samuel eight, four through five says this. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah or Ramah and said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways, which was absolutely true. They weren't saying anything wrong. But then they said this. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. 
So what they said was not wrong. It was true. Samuel had gotten old. This was the era of the judges. They did not have kings in those days. God raised up judges. Samuel was the last judge, and he was also the beginning of the prophetic era. So what they were saying was not necessarily wrong, but the conclusion they came up to was wrong. And it tells us right away how they got off and what made them go wrong. Because at the end, they say this, now make us a king to judge us. In other words, how this has been going up until this point, we don't like it. And the reason why we don't like it, because we want to be like all the nations. And so one of the things that they've done that we often do is they compared themselves to the people around them, to the nations around them. And they said, we need to change because we're not like everybody else. But that was precisely what God wanted to happen in their lives. He didn't want them to be like everybody else. So he was taking them in a different path. He was leading them a different way. He was doing something different in their life because his goal all along was to make the other nations want to be like them instead of them wanting to be like the other nations. In other words, he was trying to raise them up as a leader in the land so that the other people would gravitate to them and they would want to know the God that they knew. But they looked out and said, no, we would rather be like them. And this is one of the hardest things for us as Christians serving God is that he's often doing things in our life so that we can lead others to him. But we often are looking at others and we're just like, it, it would be much easier to go that path. It would be much easier to not to be married to one person for the rest of your life and just have multiple partners. Like, why should, why should I just have one person? Why should I just have one husband, one wife? Why, why should I go to church on Sunday? Why should I give money in? You know, it's just like every, ain't nobody else doing it. And it seems like they are okay. So, We want that. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting that. The problem is when we demand that God would shift and adjust to our wants instead of us making our wants to shift and adjust to God. So that is the major topic that we're dealing with. That's the quintessential thing that we are playing with. And we all understand what that's like. So let's look at verse six. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. So what I like about Samuel is it immediately displeased him because he knew that they were going to dumb themselves down to fit in with everybody else instead of rising to be a cut above. Being a cut above, and we talked about that last week we, when we talked about better, we talked about really as being a cut above, being ahead of the pack. Well, in order to be a cut above and be ahead of the pack, oftentimes it's going to cost you more and you can't do what everybody else is doing. You can't go where everyone else is going. I love to tell this story and uh, I had heard it before, but it, it really caught my attention when Kobe Bryant passed because it was it was uh, Alan Iverson that tell, told the story when they were asking him about the passing of Kobe and he was visibly shaken up and they were like, well, just give us a story that tells us who Kobe Bryant was. And uh, actually, I'm, I'm wearing Laker color, so this is a perfect time to bring up that story. So Allen Iverson says, that, and they came in at the same time. They were both rookies. Allen was the number one player in the draft. Kobe was like number 13. But when they asked what separated the two of them, Allen Iverson tells the story how the first time they played each other, they 
uh, I think they were actually in Los Angeles and they go out to eat because they were friends. They went out to eat and uh, Kobe asked him, like, what are you doing after we eat? He's like, man, I'm going to this party. I'm going there and going here doing this. And Alan was like, what are you doing? And Kobe said, I'm going to the gym. And Alan's like, like what? Like, you know, look, either you're ready to play the game or not. And he learned later on in life that Kobe was so dedicated to his craft that he was not just looking at this immediate game. He was saying, I'm looking long term. I'm trying to be the greatest. So I'm not going to the club. I'm not going to the party. There's nothing wrong with me going to the club or going to the party because I've already put the work in. But I'm going to put more work in because I'm not just focused on this game. I'm focusing on a career of being the best that I can be. In order to do that, I don't have time for the club. I don't have time for this, that, the other. I made time to eat with you. But after I get done eating, I'm going back because I'm trying to be a cut above. And Iverson was great, but Kobe was greater. And in his passing, Iverson was saying, I get it now. He wasn't trying to be like anybody else. He was trying to be the best. He was chasing greatness. And many of us were chasing just enough to be the superstar. So when you want to be a cut above, you can't do what everybody else is doing, even though what everyone else is doing is not necessarily wrong. But you're not built to be like everybody else. You're built to be different. And that's what the reason why Samuel was displeased, because they didn't get it. They were putting their wants above what God wanted for them. All right, let's go to verse seven. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to do, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. What's interesting is that God, through Samuel, was saying this is actually personal. Some people say it's not personal, it's business. But God was saying, no, this is actually personal. They're actually rejecting me because I want them to be a cut of gut, a cut above so they can lead people to me. But they would rather be like everybody else. So really, they're rejecting me. And then he says this. He says, basically, do what they want. Heed to them. Now, God being a sovereign God, he could just stopped it. He could have blocked it. So that led me to my first point that I wanted to to bring in. Actually, it ended up being the second point, but it was the, the first impactful point that I really wanted to leave is that sometimes the most gracious thing God can do for you is tell you no. When God says no, that is just, many times it's his grace. It's very problematic when God tells you yes to everything you want. Because often when God is telling you, yes, he knows that you don't, you don't plan on listening anyway. So I'm just going to give you what you want. But many times him giving us what we want can be to our own detriment. It could actually be the worst thing for us. So sometimes the best thing he can do for us is to actually flat out tell us no, block it, hinder it, stop it. I always say I am a much better father because of the miscarriages, I didn't want the miscarriages, but I end up became, becoming a much better father by God making me wait later to have children. It was his grace and his mercy that told me no. In this case, he knew the hardness of the hearts of the people. He had dealt with them all the way 
back from getting them across the Red Sea out of Egypt and them wanting immediately to go back. Actually, before they crossed the Red Sea, when they got to the Red Sea, they were already talking about they wanted to go back. He knew how stubborn they were. And so he just said, yeah, just give them what they want. But many times that could be the worst thing that could happen to us. When you look at verse nine, he says, now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you should solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Give into their wants, give into their desires, their itch, their wish, but warn them and not just warn them, solemnly warn them. I want you to show them what it's going to be like if they get what they want. And many times God will do that. He said, I'll, I'll let you have what you want, but I'm going to warn you what it's going to be like. But we want things so bad that we often don't pay attention to the warning. So God gives us the want and the warning simultaneous. But when we're so locked into the want, we don't want the warning. It happened to me on my first vehicle and, and graciously I listened. But there was a vehicle that I could get. It was a white Jeep, a white Jeep with tan leather interior. I really, really liked it and thought I could have it. And I was praying to God what I should do, whether I should get the vehicle or not. I had the means to do it. I had a good job. And uh, God told me to ask my father. And I thought that this is kind of silly. Here I am talking to my heavenly father, asking him what I should do. They've already let me know my credit could afford it. I, I got money coming in and God says, ask your natural daddy. That seemed like a step down, but I decided to listen to God to do it. So I asked my natural father and my natural father said, if I was you, I wouldn't do it. He said, instead, what I would do, I would for six months, I would put that money aside to see if you can handle that kind of car payment for six months. And it wasn't what I wanted to hear. Number one, God didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. And then my daddy didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. But something made me listen. I felt for some reason that if God told me to ask my dad and then my dad said this, that there was some reason why I was supposed to listen to this. So reluctantly, I listened. But it was something that my father said, because at the time, my father was not in a good financial place with his vehicles. And he would said, if someone would have told me what I'm telling you, I'd have a better vehicle right now. So I ended up listening. Problem was within a week or two, that car was sold. Bothered me. I thought maybe God was going to hold the car, but it was gone. To make a long story short, at the end of the six months, there ended up being another Jeep that showed up there. And this Jeep was a special edition. It was actually better equipped with more stuff. And I had for six months saved that money and I knew I could do it. Never had an issue with that uh, that Jeep. I ended up trading that Jeep in for a better uh, brand new Jeep and I've never had an issue paying with cars, paying for cars. Never had one in repossession. Never had one where I was upside down in. I learned early on but it was because I heeded a simple warning and I stopped my want and just did something long. And when I look back on it, all God was asking me to do was wait six months. It really wasn't that hard. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And it took me about two months to get over it. But once I got into the flow, I realized I actually learned a lesson that was valuable. So many times when God is trying to stop you from something, he's really looking for your future. We have to remember that God has the bird's eye view. In other words, he sees the big picture. He has the drone shot. He has the aerial view. He sees everything. And so when he tries to halt us is because father knows best. 
but many times we allow, we allow our wants to get the best of us. Now, I've got many stories where I didn't listen, but that's one story where I did. Let's go back. Let's look at verse 11. And he said, so Samuel began to tell him this, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. One of the first things he says is going to actually take from you. What you want is actually going to take from you. Then he says, verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. And then verse 14, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. So then here was point number three. It is somewhat scary to realize that what you want could be a trap to take the best of you and leave little left. Here's another sobering fact. When we give into what we want, sometimes it's a trap just to rob the best of us. The best years of our life, the best, like an addiction can rob the best years of your life. Can God restore? Yes. But when we look back on life, when we wish we can take uh, some things over. It's one thing that you can never get back, and that's time. Once time is spent, is spent. And so when you give in to a want that takes you years to recover from, many times you wish, oh, man, I wish I didn't do that because I gave the best of my life. And so now I've got debts that I'm stressed out, anxious over, and all it would have taken is just a few adjustments and I wouldn't have gotten into that debt and I wouldn't have had that or wouldn't have had this addiction or I wouldn't have this beautiful child, but a baby mama that I hate or baby daddy that I can't stand. But now I got to deal with them for the next 18 years and beyond. So it's like we often don't see that sometimes these things are just traps and they come in the form of a want and the want is so strong that we try to make things happen. We try to force it to happen. And you can get advice, you can get counsel, and you just start doing what you want. I talked about it Sunday that you start having that Burger King anointing. You want to have it your way. But it really could be a trap. So you really have to slow down and ask yourself, why do I want it this bad? Sometimes it's just, we can just be honest, it's just my flesh. At least I can be honest about it. It's not God. It's not all these things that I try to make it to be. Well, the Bible says, well, Pastor Andre preached a sermon. Don't put your stuff off on me. Sometimes you just need to tell the truth. It's just my flesh. I just want it. There's no real reason why I want it. I just do. Well, why do you want him? Well, I do because I've invested a couple months and I don't want to let go. All the signs are saying let go, but you want it. But that want could be a trap. You have to not be so hard headed that you end up paying for something long term that's going to harm you. So I, on Sunday morning, I talked about how this was a sermon that was supposed to leave us blessed. But I wanted to leave us with a little bit of weightiness. In other words, God was actually warning us. So I'm passing it on. And I, I had to tell the truth that it was actually coming to me for some stuff that I want. That God is just trying to needle me and nudge me and say, you just don't need it. And but, but I want it. I look at other preachers. It seems like they get away with less than I get away with. And they seem to be blessed more. They seem to have things going for them. And I was like, well, shoot, I don't want to do all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm working too hard. Let me relax. And God is like, no, you don't need to relax. You need to keep doing this. Well, I don't want to. 
I want to be like them. And God is saying, if you try to be like them, you're going to mess stuff up. So this message came to me first, but also seen that it was for the larger body. So we have to be careful because it could be a trap. Don't get tricked. Don't get trapped. All right. Let's look at verse 17. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. Let's look at point number four. The worst thing that can happen is when what you want makes you its servant. So here's one of the worst things is that when what you want actually becomes bondage. Sin will often make you a slave. But many times we see sin coming and when we fall, like we know we made a mistake, we fail, and then we come in bondage to it. But at least we knew it was sin. It wasn't like it caught us by surprise. The problem is when there's a want, like actually we want this and then it tricks us and traps us up or we want it and we figure I can get in and get out of it. There are many people who looked for whatever reason, they looked at a bank and they thought I can rob this bank. I can get away with it. They planted this scheme and then everything goes wrong. And when they're behind bars, they, it comes to me like that was stupid. My whole plan was stupid. Everything was stupid. I don't know how I didn't see it, but I wanted what I wanted at the time and it clouded my judgment. And the worst thing is that when not only is it a trap that it steals the best of you, but then it makes you its slave. And so now you know you no longer want it, but you can't stop going to it. I no longer want to smoke crack, but that's the only thing I know how to do because now my mind has changed. Like they, they talk about drugs actually shift people's minds. And so like you might get pleasure out of eating food, but now I don't get pleasure out of eating food. I don't get pleasure out of sex. I don't, don't get pleasure out of going to the gym. I have to chase the high. Once I get the high, then I can eat. Then I can do these all these other things. So these people are saying, listen, I don't want to do this, but my body won't let me do anything else. I'm a slave to this. I'm addicted to this. When I get money, I have a payee, a trustee, so I can't get my money because I'll spend all my money to get the high. And I know this and I don't want this, but I can't help myself. You don't want to be in control and then go after a want and no longer have control. That's a very hard place to be in. And being a ministry, especially my father being uh, really coming into the prominence in the 90s after the aftermath of the crack era. The crack era was in the late 80s, early 90s, but it hit Muncie in the middle 90s, like all of the ramifications. And my dad was the person in the streets at that time. And so I saw what it's like him helping people and how they would relapse and do it. I saw all the effects. And most of those people, they would tell me stories of who they used to be how good they used to have, how they were in college. They were in the army. They had this, had that. But I only seen the aftermath and they were just wrecked and they were grateful for a deliverance temple and a Bishop Royce Mitchell. But it was hard for me to fathom that some of these men and women were, were somebody at one time because they were picking up the pieces because they became a slave to an addiction. So you don't want your want to turn into that. And we've all seen it happen. So let's look at verse 18. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. This was one of the warnings that Samuel told them. Here's point number five. It's even worse. So first thing I said, 
was that it's worse when you become a servant to something. And then I said, it's even worse if God has to let you sit in what you wanted for a while. It's even worse when God could deliver you, but delivering you would actually not be beneficial for you. Because if he delivers you too quick, you will go back because you haven't learned the lesson. So it's even worse when he has to let you sit in it. He has to let you sit in your mess. There's sometimes God has to let you sit because that's the only way you will learn your lesson. There are some people that are just so headstrong that God has to take his hands off. And then once you run into the wall, he can't rescue you. He has to leave you there until you can come to your senses. One of the great stories of the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. But when the prodigal son demanded from his dad that he would get his inheritance out of time, the daddy did it and allowed him and it was to his detriment and the dad kept going to the road looking to see when his son would return but the scripture says he never went after the son because if he went after the son the son wouldn't learn his lesson it wasn't until the son was eating slop with the pig that the bible says the son came to himself and realized he said even my dad's servants live better than this he said i'm going back home and i'm not even going to ask to be a son i'll ask to be a servant humility had kicked in because he lost everything and he was at the bottom. And, but when he came back, his dad was there to, to rescue them. And he said, no, you will never be a servant. I'll make you a son. So God will rescue, but sometimes you got to come back. You got to sit in your mess and you got to come to yourself. And so sometimes that's a hard process because it doesn't happen overnight. Some of our children, our grown children, the best thing we can do for them is stop rescuing them, stop paying their bills, stop allowing them to sleep on our couches, stop uh, running in and fixing everything because they'll never come to themselves. Sometimes they got to sit in stuff until they recognize and realize. And then, of course, if they start moving back in a repentant way, we don't be hard hearted. We receive them. We embrace them. But sometimes it takes a while before people come to that place. All right, let's look at. Verses 19 through 20. Nevertheless, the people refused. Now, if uh, if you came to the Good Friday service, we talked about nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we talked about how you will never be the less if you uh, yield your will to God. But in this case, the scripture says, nevertheless, they actually refused to obey. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. In other words, their mind is made up that we also may be like all the nations. And of course, their motive was wrong. They wanted to be like everybody else and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Here's another problem. One of the key was we want him to fight our battles. God wanted to fight their battles. So now we're choosing something lesser to stand and fight our battles for us. All right, point number six, you know you're headed down the wrong path when you elevate a want above a warning. So they listened to all the warnings and they said, no, we still want what we want. In other words, poo-poo on what you say, what you're warning. Okay, how many times you tell us the bridge is out? Okay, how how many times you tell us that the wedding is not the hardest part, the marriage is, so maybe you shouldn't rush in? Okay, how many times you tell me this, that, hey, this particular thing may hurt you that maybe you shouldn't sell this to get that. Maybe you shouldn't quit the job. All the things that you warn people. And it's one thing to warn people when you don't know. It's another thing to know what you're talking about 
and to passionately and compassionately warn someone. And they just simply say, no, I don't care. I want what I want. And that's basically what they did to God. So after we went through all of that, I left us with this. God got what you want. God got what you need. Because my point wasn't just to be heavy handed with this sermon, but I actually want to leave us with a positive. And in some of my sermons lately, I've been doing that. I've been painting the negative first and picking up the positive later so that you see it in comparison. It's a word called juxtaposition is where you put the two next to each other so that the truth of it can really leap out to you. And so that's what I really wanted to do. And I was reminded of the song that, that I used to sing. Uh, I can't remember if it was in the, the late 90s, but it said, I got what you want. I got what you need. And say, actually, God has what you want and God has what you need. And so many of us who are actually putting, trying to put God first in our life, actually really trying to come to church, trying to, uh, we're not getting everything right, but we are really endeavoring to try and what I'm trying to say is actually you're on the right path. Keep doing that because God is going to come through and he's actually going to hook us up because we are really fighting against our natural desires. And we are trying to like our first part of our vision statement. We're trying to connect with our creator continually. So even though we could be doing other things, we are really, really trying to yield to God. Don't always get it right. We sometimes still do what we want, but then we feel bad, bad about it. We've, we're trying to adjust. We're trying to actually help others. In other words, I put all that other stuff up front to really bring home the fact that what you're doing now is really the right thing. So don't let the devil trick you because you don't have what you want that somehow you are a punk or you're wasting time or you need to do something different. No, actually, you're on the right path. Stay there because it's going to produce something. So what I wanted to do is go back to the synonyms, read them through real quick, but I, I crossed them out. Uh, desire, wish for, hope for, have, and inclination for, set one's heart on, long for, yearn for. Then I left these two, hunger for, thirst for, then lust after, cry out for, be desperate for, itch for, covet. So I lifted out hunger for and thirst for because it reminded me of a scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the scripture. And the scripture says this in Matthew 5 and 6. It says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In other words, what the scripture is actually saying, there's nothing wrong with hungering and thirsting for it's just that if you misprioritize it, if you don't put righteousness first, you're actually going to do it to your own detriment. But if you actually put righteousness first, then what's going to happen is you're actually going to be filled. In other words, you're going to get to a place where the righteousness or pursuing that is going to satisfy you. And so when we were talking about the kingdom, we said it this way, and we use Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then it says this, and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, there is actually a sequence of things that happen when you prioritize righteousness first. Number one, you will be filled. So in other words, what happens is when you pursue righteousness first, there will be some things that you don't have in your life and then you don't care. Ah. I'm not worried about it. 
I'm filled. I'm satisfied. Well, you haven't been on a vacation in a while. Not, not a big deal. I'm actually fulfilled doing what I'm doing. But then what God says, since you put me first, I'm going to make sure you never end up last. So I'm going to open up doors and you are going to be able to go on that vacation. And that actually is going to be a beautiful vacation, but it's not going to be like other people's vacation. Some people go on vacation and then their vacation is a mess. Things go awry. I, I was looking at someone who wanted to go to the Maldives and it's a beautiful place to go. And they were talking about it just so happened. They chose the right time and a monsoon shows up while we're there. They were in one of those huts over the water. So they really couldn't go anywhere. They said they still end up having a good time, but they didn't have the vacation of their dreams because at the end of the day, they can't control the weather. But we know a God that can speak, speak peace to a storm. So God can make your uh, time be better than what it should. He can let you find discounts. In other words, he said, I'm not trying to deny you stuff, but if you do it my way in the right timing, it's going to be better. Later on in my life, my vacations have been amazing. I've been spending time with my family and things have just worked out well. And they've been great because God is adding those things to me. He just says, put me first. Let me hook you up later. Do it my way. And so that's all God is saying to us. So we're not saying that you will never get anything that you want. But the Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart. So what he does first, he says, just if you wait on me, what happens, what I'll do, I'll change your desires. I'll line your desires up with my desires and then I'll turn around and give you what you desire and then you will be fulfilled. You'll be satisfied. So you have people who are doing things that you thought you wanted and they're frowning. And here you are smiling and people are looking at you and saying, hey, I wish I had what you had. I wish I had the joy that you had because you seem to be enjoying life. So really, that's all God is saying. It's like, if you do it my way, you're actually going to enjoy. The scripture also says it this way, and I didn't add all these things on Sunday, but I'm adding them here now. The scripture says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So there are some people who have the stuff that we want, but they're not enjoying it. They have it, but they're miserable. So God says, if you just wait, I'll give it to you, but you'll be able to enjoy it. What's the point of being able to go on vacation and you're sick with cancer and you can't go? You got the money to do it, but you can't go. You All you want to do is to take your family on a nice vacation, but now you're divorced. You got money to do it, but the kids don't like you. The uh, You don't have a, a wife. Your mistress that you cheated on the wife for, she don't like you. So now you're by yourself and you could go with a nice family, but you messed it all up doing what you want. You could go to a nice place, but you're stuck in rehab because now you got an addiction that you can't break. Or you could do this, but somebody else has to handle your money. All these things. So God says, I don't mind you having the stuff. I created it. Just do it my way and then you'll be able to enjoy it. So that brings us up to point number seven. Wanting what God wants brings satisfaction and fulfillment. That's the main thing. God wants you to be satisfied and he wants you to be fulfilled. So do it his way. Get married in his timing. Pick who he tells you to pick. Let me tell you something. If you pick who God wants you to pick, you're still going to have hell in your marriage because marriage is hard. So why complicate it by getting somebody God don't want you to have? You're just going to make life worse. Or if you get who God wants you to have 
And then you start doing stupid stuff in your marriage because marriage gets hard. Well, it's going to be hard. Well, now you're going to do, want to do what you want to do. You're just going to mess things up. You're going to complicate things. People will tell you it's complicated, but what they often don't tell you, it didn't have to be complicated. I complicated it because I started doing it my way. And God is saying, hey, there's two ways to do it. You could do it your way or you could do it my way. But I promise you, my way is the better way. He told uh, in Deuteronomy, he told the children of Israel, and this is the second time they were hearing this. He had to rehearse it to them. Uh, in the end, Moses, before he died, he rehearsed the law over to them. So in Deuteronomy, he says, I've set before you life and death. And then he says, choose life that thou and thy children may live. He's like, I set before you door number one, door number two. But here's a hint. Behind door number two is life. So how about you choose that? And people are saying, you know what? I think I'm going to choose door number one. <laughs> and they, their life is a mess. So we don't want to be like that. We want to be wiser than that. Here's uh, one other thing that I said I was going to pick back up. So here is the definition again. So we crossed out the first definition because the first definition is the most common, but it's in verb form. I wanted to bring the definition up in noun form. In noun form, what means this? It actually means a lack or a, defic a deficiency of something. So what can happen is you could use the verb and end up with the noun. You can want somewhat something so bad that you end up in want. In other words, I desire it and I wish for it so bad that I'm going to do the wrong things to get it. And then I end up not having it. And then what that does, it creates a lack and it creates me wanting it again. So now it creates a vicious cycle. I wanted this. I did it the wrong way. And now I'm in want again. I wanted to be a boss. So I decided to sell dope. I got some stuff for a while. I got raided. Now I have nothing. I'm behind bars. And now I don't have nobody to put money on my books. So I wanted this, got it the wrong way, and now I'm in a deeper want. I got more lack than I had when I started with. I didn't have to have somebody. I didn't have to. I could eat what I wanted to before. I may not have been able to eat the best stuff, but I could at least eat what I wanted when I wanted. But now somebody tells me when I have to eat. And if I want anything extra, somebody I got to beg for somebody to put money in my book. So now I created a bigger issue. In other words, I ended up in more want. I ended up in lack. I used the verb the wrong way, and I ended up in the noun. But what God says, I actually want to flip it. I actually want you to not have the now. I don't want you to ever be in lack. And so there were some scriptures there here that we went to as we closed. Psalms 34, 8 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. This is what I love about this is, yes, I want you to do it my way, but I'm actually going to let you taste me first. And see that I'm good. I'm not just going to force you to do it my way without giving you a glimpse of how good it is. So I'm going to give you a taste. I'm going to give you a free taste to prove to you that I'm good. So that's why sometimes God will just touch us. He'll just do things. He gives you a glimpse and gives you a taste. And then you start thinking, well, shoot, this God stuff ain't that bad. Yeah, there's some hard stuff. Yes, I got to deny my flesh. Yes, there's some stuff that sucks. But 
At the end of the day, God been kind of good to me. God done hooked me up. He gives you a taste. It's not like he's asking you to do these hard things and he don't do anything for you. He wakes you up in the morning. He's there with you. There's times when the car should have went off the road. You know, you should have died. And then you see your life, your life flash before your eyes. Then you realize, well, whew, whew, God got me out of that. That's a taste. Hey, he's letting you taste and see how good he is. All right. Let's look at verse nine. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want to them that fear him. In other words, not be scared of me, but respect me. Respect me in such a way that you won't go after your wants your way, but you'll do it my way. And if you do it my way, you actually won't want. You won't lack anything. You won't lack anything. Now, now you may not have everything you wish for. You may not have your wildest dreams and desires. But when you look back over your life, you think, I didn't really want for anything. Okay, maybe I didn't have the most expensive shoes, but I had nice shoes. Maybe I didn't drive the most expensive car, but I had a nice car to get me from uh, where I wanted to go. Maybe I didn't live in the fanciest city, but the city I lived in, everybody loved me. Maybe my church wasn't the biggest church, but the church that I had, we did a lot of great things. When you start looking at it, you realize, you know what? I ain't doing too bad. I I need to adjust how I'm thinking about this stuff. I'm actually pretty taken care of. I, I, I got more clothes than I need. I need to give something to the goodwill. I have food on my table. I got friends. I got people who love me. When I think about it, I really don't need anything. Now there could be some more things I could wish for. Maybe I, I would like to go to Dubai and I've never been to Dubai, but I, I got a chance to have a nice vacation in Chicago. I was a chance to have a nice vacation in Florida. Yeah, maybe I didn't go overseas, but I've actually done okay for myself. Once you start looking at it, you realize I really am not wanting for anything. And then that opens up the door for God to blow your mind and do stuff for you. And then when you end up in Dubai, you sit back and look at it like, man, how did I get here? Happened to me when I was just reading a book about South Africa and thinking, man, I wish I could go there one time. And then in 2017, I'm preaching in South Africa and it just hits me. It's like, how did how did I get here? How did God do this for me? I went from just having a wish and God did it for me in 2009. When I read about it, I had no idea that eight years later it would happen and it would happen. I just wanted to go there. I had no idea I was going to go there and preach there like God will blow your mind. But just give him a chance. Let him do it and be grateful for what you already have. Verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. Here's the point about them. They are the king of the jungle, but they still end up suffering. If a famine hits the baddest thing in the jungle, he, he going to have to get sick too. That's why, or he's going to have to go without too. That's why some people who are billionaires one day, sometimes they lose it all when the market crashed. So nobody is really safe. Even the, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But then he says this, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. So listen, this brings it home to us. There's some stuff that just is not good for us. So the reason why we never got it, because it wasn't really any good for us. But you're not going to lack or want any good thing if you hook up with God. So if it's good for you, you're going to have it in some capacity in your life. May not get it right away. My grandfather told him that a bishop, bishop told him years ago. He said, son, some people get blessed early. Some people get blessed in the middle. 
Some people get blessed late. He said, I think you might be one that's going to get blessed late, but just hang on. So some of y'all, you may not get blessed as easy as somebody else. You may have to wait longer, but you will not lack any good thing. And here's the thing about people who get blessed late. They usually appreciate it more than the people who got blessed right away. When you get blessed too quick and too young, you don't really understand it. You take it for granted. But when you've had to wait, you had to beg, borrow, uh, you've had to grind, and then you get it, you appreciate it more. It actually ends up being more lasting. So I implore you, just like I did when we did Kingdom Wealth, I implore you, do it God's way. It'll be more lasting. It'll be more fulfilling. It'll be more satisfying. You're not going to lack any good thing putting God first. All right. Eight, you will never lose wanting what God wants for you. At the end of the day, you're not going to lose doing it God's way. Psalms 34, 19. Here's something that uh, we have to warn you to. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So I'm not here to tell you you're not going to go through anything. But guess what? Most of you already know that. You're old enough to know life can suck. But guess what? Life sucks for everybody. It sucks for the righteous as well as the unrighteous. The unrighteous don't know how to deal with it. The righteous have a promise. Here's the promise. Let's look at it again. But the Lord delivered him out of them all. All means all. So no matter what comes, how fast it comes, how hard it comes, God will deliver you from all of it. I don't care how stinky it is, how hard it is how troublesome it is, he will put you on the top of every circumstance. Some people say, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. If you stay with God, you will not stay under the circumstances. You will be on top of the circumstances because he promises you will be delivered out of them all. He also promises that many of the are afflictions of the righteous. He didn't say all afflictions. He don't say you're going to get hit with everything. You're not going to get hit with everything. You're going to have some breaks. You're going to have some reprieves. Some people are going to go through stuff that you're not going to go through. Some people are going to hit with some stuff that you're not going to be hit with, but you will be have many afflictions. But whatever hits you, God will deliver you from them all. So let's close with this. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Listen, no matter what happens, God got you. He'll redeem you. He'll snatch you. And at the end of your life, when you take your last breath, you won't be able to say, man, whew, this was a horrible life. I wish I didn't choose God. I wish I didn't love God. I wish I never said yes to God. You're going to be able to say, I was never desolate. I never ended up on the losing end. By choosing God. At the end of the day, choosing God was the best thing I ever did. And as I close, there's one songwriter that said it this way. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. Having said that, that brings us to close. So once again, the question is what you want. And the statement is what you want. So if we monitor what we want and we yield our wants to God, we will never end up as losers. We will always end up as winners. And the Bible says it this way. We are more 
than conquerors through him that loved us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for transformation, revival, healing, and forgiveness. And God, we want what you want. Father, you know best. We yield our will to you. And God, you're going to bless us in a way that's just going to make us shake our heads and point to you and say, God, you did it. And it's actually going to draw people in because we're not going to have all the negative consequences that the other people did. People are going to switch from this American dream that's becoming a nightmare and this worldly dream that's becoming a nightmare. And they're going to look to us and they're going to say, what must I do to be saved? Because you obviously know and have the keys to eternal life because you are serving someone who never lets you down. Let that be our testimony forever and let us our life be a living epistle that people can see and that's read that people will be drawn to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. I want to say God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Hope this has been a happy hump day. Crush the rest of this week. We love you and we are signing off. Thank you for tuning in as always. Thank you for being in the building as well as online. See you again soon. And once again, it's great to be in the land of the living.